0: Welcome to My Life, Chesedis Applied, episode 243. We are about to enter the month of Shvat. Yesterday we benched Shabbos Mavarchim Shvat, and on Monday will be Rosh Shvat. Tonight is already, today is a Rosh and tonight is a beginning of Rosh Shvat. So we'll talk about that as we always do on a timely basis, the events and the calendar, as well as this week's Parsha, which is now the beginning of Parsha Boy. And of course, always in the context of Chassidus Applied, which is applying it to our personal lives based on the general principle that Teirah is Meloshan Heira. The word Teirah itself comes from the meaning directive, guide, a directive in life. Teirah is Chaim, as the Rebbe would always say, Heira B'Chaim, a blueprint for life. So, being that we're right re-entering the month of re-entering Rosh Chodesh Shvat, so let's begin with that. In the year Tov Shemembez, which would be uh, thirty-seven years ago, the Rebbe spoke it was Shabbos Pasher V'Eira, This Shabbos yesterday, the Rebbe had a Fabrengen. It was Mavorchim, of course, Shabbos Mavorchim, and it was the same kvirs, the same schedule like this year, where Rosh Chodesh was on Monday. And one of the lessons that Rebbe learned and derived from that schedule, everything was uh, precise. Everything is is precise, and everything has a lesson for us. So even when a schedule of Rishchidesh comes out on a Monday, or a Sunday, or a Tuesday, or whatever day it comes out, and is able to come out, that also has lessons. It's one of the so-called lesser-focused-upon tremendous um, tremendous directive that we received from the Rebbe, was everything was precise. Even the schedule of something, not just the Rishchidesh Shvat itself, but what day in the week it comes. And the Rebbe then, as he, in his inimitable, inimitable way, explained that by Chassidim, there's an expression by the Rebbeim, there's no such thing as just automatic. When a Shchei comes out on a Sunday, so then you're going straight from Shabbos, that blesses, into Sunday, it's almost like automatic. The fact that it comes after a day, a Sunday, that a day of Aveda where we work, emphasizes that it's nishtakim Everything has to come with effort. That's the lesson we learned from this kviz. Now, Of course, in the context of Shvat, especially by Chassidim, Shvat is the month, the 10th of Shvat will be this year, the beginning of the 70th year of the Rebbe's leadership. 70th year also of the Hilula of the Fritzika Rebbe. So it has specific relevance to that. But first, the first lesson is the b'melah. There's an expression in the Talmud, Yerushalmi, talks about someone who came into Ashul, came to Minyan, and he heard meidim, Menafshi He was so accustomed to bowing, doing meidim, that we say, that Menafshi without even, even concentrating, without even deliberating on it, he just bent out. So on one hand, that sounds like a tremendous thing. A person is so trained that he doesn't even have to think about it. He's so trained in Kedusha that it comes automatically. But there's times that it explains that, no, it didn't come with Avedah, like he explains in Tanya Perek which is the chitas of these days, the importance of effort, that if it's routine and habit, even if it's a holy habit and a sacred one, it doesn't have that effort. Pushing yourself a little more, as he cites there from the Gemara Menachis, that says that in the times of the Talmud, the custom was to study and review that which you've learned a hundred times. The Gemara calls that Loya It's not called aveda because it was the custom. hundred times, who learns to review something a hundred times? But that was their routine. The hundred and first time, this pamach, as the, Rebbe, the Altar Rebbe says, this one time over the hundred, and you can only reach it after you have a hundred, that in echos and quality, machriya is more powerful than the hundred, because you've gone out of the routine. No mamela. It's not coming automatically. And that's a a very powerful lesson in so many areas in life where often we ask ourselves, why can't things just come easy? Why do I have to make an effort? But it's actually a gift that was given to us that we have the power to be creators. We have the power to be initiators, that we can initiate. And when we do so, we become a partner in the process. If it's a Mamela thing, that's why it says in the Gemara, the famous Gemara Megillah, if someone says, L'yeh gaiti v'leh matzasi al-taimin, someone says, Yeh gaiti v'leh matzasi al-taimin, You gaiti Effort brings the results. Effort. And you'll think, even on a, on a secular level, ask anyone who's successful, they'll all tell you how much persistence and sweat is even more important than a good idea. Seeing it through, that effort. So we have that lesson, a general lesson in life, a chassidus-applied type of lesson, I'm not stuck in my melee. Should things should deliberate upon things. Obviously, it's nothing wrong with having good habits and good routines that you naturally and instinctively and reflexively respond. But a person who thinks about things always adds more to it, not just what he does by rote or mechanically. And of course, in Judaism itself, doing something mechanically and by rote, though it has some value, but it's not the passion and the penimius. And the vitality and the dynamic investment that we have when we do something with that type of deliberate effort is a completely different quality of, of uh, commitment and quality of even product when you have that type of personal relationship. Which, of course, is also a lesson in how we teach our children and our students and each other and anyone we come in contact with, not just enough to inspire, not enough just to um, inform and educate, but to empower to empower that there's that, that they should own it and want to make an effort, not just give it to them on a platter, but also make it an effort that it's worthwhile, the effort, and teaching people that it's so valuable that they will go and make an effort even when you're not there. When the teacher or the parent or the mashbiya is not in, that, in, the, in their presence, they will have owned it because they, they earned their way. And that earning, as the Gemara says in Bob it says, A person desires one measure. The Shalei of his own effort, then nine that he receives as a gift. He or she receives as a gift. But you can buy nine times as much with nine, but it's not yours. And you'll see when you get something as a gift, it's far easier to scrounge the opportunity. But when you worked for it, even if it's only one measure of nine, it has a certain qualitative value. Not no bamela. Now, how does that apply regarding? That's a lesson in general. Because the whole union of Chassidus is exactly that. There should be no the Yiddish Yiddishkeit should not be mechanical Judaism. It should not be by rote or by routine, but with an effort, with some form of commitment and some form of investment. So, of course, as we go into the D'Shvat, comes for Shabbos and Wachimshat. And what's close to our hearts is that this is the month, 10 days, from Yud Shvat. As I said, the Hilula of the Fridike Rebbe, the same day Yud Shvat Tof Shin Yud, the beginning of the Rebbe's leadership, What's the Rebbe saying in the first when he formally accepted the Nasius right after the Maimir? Don't deceive yourself into thinking that I'm going to do the work for you. Everyone has their pekel. Everyone has their stuz de stuz de l'umaza, their so called negative insanity. Things we do that are just not necessarily, like he says in the Maimir Bas Lagani, things we do just automatically, negatively. And each of us has to work on ourselves and make our effort. Rebbe said, I don't decline from helping, but basically I meet you halfway. no So specifically the lesson this year's kvi is that it comes on Monday after a day of effort is even more relevant when it comes to the issues of Shvat. Now Rishchei Shvat also has the power that the beginning of Sefer Dvorim, the fifth Chumash, when Meshach Rabbeinu he knows that he has 37 days until Oder, when his neshama would go back Lamaila. So he says, These are the words that Mesha said, An ish and um, and he began, he began to explain the Terah. So the Rashi says, and from the Medrash, that began to translate it into 70 languages. What's the significance of that? All the Jews knew Hebrew. They received the Tata by Martin Tata was not in the 70 languages. The significance is that Tata should be brought and made relevant and palatable and accessible in every language. Language refers not just to physical languages, but also to the idioms, to the way you present an idea that it should be zugenlach in Yiddish, they say relevant to the person that's being taught to. So we know Mishnah Tera, which is the fifth book, is what Moshe said it, and that's why much of the book is written in the language Moshe speaking to the Eden. It's all Tera and Hashemayim, but the four books, the first four books, is Hashem speaking, or Bishlishem Medaber like a third person. Here Moshe is speaking, so So it says in Svarim this elaborates that this is where Moshe was internalizing it and giving to them in a the sense that we integrate it. No Mimela, it's not a Bemela. It's through the aveda after hearing the Tera min which is a gift, Matan Tera, a gift from above. Now what are you going to do? Not just listen, you now have to absorb, process, and internalize it, and then digest it and present it. And that's what Mesha did. Similar to what it says in Elam Mishpatam, asher Tosim like a Shulchan Aruch, he has to present a teacher. Moshe who teaches it in a way that's presentable to the student. Not just saying, hear the words from heaven. Again, the emphasis on premia is the emphasis on effort, the emphasis on internalizing it. And that's what the Fridika Rebbe did. The Rebbe explains in the Sikha Membez and many other places that he began to translate the Fridika Rebbe, that is, to see this in many languages, physically in other languages, and also explaining it in a way that people who do not necessarily not familiar with the original language can relate to. And of course, the Rebbe took it to a completely other dimension. As it leads to the head of the month of Shvat. Connection to the Parsha. So, of course, Va'ere Boy is a continuation of Parsha Shemesh, which is all Golos Mitzrayim. But in this week's Parsha, in the middle of the Parsha, we also begin the Golah. And the Abish to telling Meshur Rabbeinu in Mitzrayim that on the 15th day of this month, of this new month, the new moon, you will be redeemed. You will lead the Jews out of Mitzrayim. And that becomes the Geula. In the middle of Pasha, boy. So in the depths of the abyss of Mitzrayim from the word constraints and limitations begins the story, this narrative, and the actual the actual redemption. And that would be marching out of Mitzrayim and the rest of the story as the Jews go on their journeys all the way to the end of the Teirah when they come to the east bank of the River Jordan, ready to go into Yisrael. So, Va'era, of course, is the last Machis and is the darkest time of the Gauls. The Gauls became more dark and more difficult and more oppressive for the Jews. And, and yet, right before the dawn is always the darkest moment. And that's when Meshef ultimately broke with the Koyach of the Ebers to the Klipa of Pare. Pare was called Tanin Hagodl, the great serpent reflecting and representing serpent or great alligator or great crocodile, different ways they translate it. But it represented the power, the power of the negative energy. And pare was not a simple person, power of negative. Which is why the Zohar says, at the beginning of this week's Parsha, why does it say, boy al pare"? Boy means come to pare, it should say, "Lecha pare, go to pare. As it does say several times earlier. And the answer is because as Moshe was Engaging with Padre, the first he was dealing with the outer, more superficial, surface levels of this, of this negative energy, of this uh, diabolical and arch enemy of anything that's holy. A person who said, I don't know this God. A person who considered himself God. A person who was literally ruled with an iron hand the Jewish people and this country. So, first Moshe was so called dealing with his more outer dimensions. But as he got closer and closer, to dealing with the party to the core, Moshe says, he became afraid. He began to tremble. He was afraid to go. To go into the inner chambers of this klipa, of this difficult and negative energy. Thinking, meeting the Hitler of the generation. With all the power that he had. So Moshe was afraid. So Hashem says, Boy come with me. You don't go alone. Come with me. And Moshe then went along. What's the significance? When the Moshe, Hashem didn't go with Moshe earlier. But there, it wasn't so important to emphasize. Because Moshe felt he had the kayak of Hashem and he went. Here, he needed to have deeper kayakhs, basically, greater strengths, because he was dealing with the greater darkness. To break that, he needed Hashem. So the, the Rebbe, in Be'erah Membez, also brings the Maimer that the Rebbe Rashab said in Tofresh Ayin Zion 102 years ago. The year would be 1917. They said a Maimer Pashev Eira of Re'enah and at the end of the Maimir, or the whole Maimir, but especially at the end, he talks about Tzaddikim, have the power to break and bring down even the most negative forces, the Rishayim of their generation. Except there are exceptions. When a Rosh is given power, for whatever reason, God's mysterious ways, it's not so simple. A Tzaddik cannot necessarily contend with it. However, when he goes with the power of the Abish that he could, he speaks there about Tzaddikim, of the different levels, and the Rebbe said that in the Sikh and Beis, that some Chassidim or Masim Lev, noticed that that was the time when Nikolai, the Tsar, the last Tsar of Tsarist Russia, who was a traitor Yisrael, a hater of Jews, was was overthrown by the revolution around that period of time. So, but the, the Rebbe Shab, said, said, is relevant to the time that he was in then. And the Rebbe then said, he was talking about a Sim Sefer that was taking place that week, the first Sim Sefer um, the Rebbe spoke about, and he said, and the Sim Sefer should accomplish the same, to basically eliminate the negative forces. I don't know if we know exactly what the Rebbe was referring to or he was speaking in general. But what you see from this is that the lessons from Pasha Ve'era and Boi, which are connected, as the Rebbe connects in that sicha, and I definitely encourage you to look it up, are lessons that are also in our times. The power of Gedusha, the power of holiness, power of light to dispel darkness, even uh, even the harshest and the darkest form of darkness, because we don't go alone. Come with me. Then times when we're given prayer power and neighbor, so to speak, is behind the scenes. Then there are times when we need more kayach, God says, I'm going with you. So there's no circumstance. Both on the personal par in our lives, the personal mitzvahim, when we have to sometimes deal with the darker moments of our lives, whether it's due to grief and sorrow or trauma, or it's due to um, different oppression, psychological fears, anything that goes into the category of mitzadim v'gvulim, which means the constraints, the inhibitions, the limitations, anything that traps you, that you feel trapped in. So there are times we feel some strength, and God is always giving us strength. The times that we may feel really fearful. We don't feel we can do it. And we want to retreat, so we say, And even the great Moshe Rabbeinu, needed it on his level. So we all have a tremendous lesson from that. And of course, there's also a boyal pari of gudusha, pari from the word is pariyu. Kol neherin, pari also has, uh, everything has a shedish a root in the, above. So if there's a pari very strong in the umaz, and the negative, there's also a pari of gudusha, like we say about lovan. Lovan below is a thief, a, a gangster, a liar, a um, deceiver. But Lovan and refers to Levana Ely, the supernal whiteness of the highest levels of Atik and so on. Same thing Pari. Pari also comes from Ispari, which means the the explosion or the 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 uh, bursting forth of all the lights and all the energies. So the Rebbe says Shvat came in the week of Pasha Boy, was Shabbos Pasha Boy when it happened, Tovshin Yud. So this so it came on one hand as a darkness. But on the other hand, comes a tremendous light that comes with the Istalkus, as the Rebbe explains, the power of bringing even a more powerful light of Boy. And that's what Moshe achieved with Hashem's help. Come with me, he's able to transform the darkest. And what happens, Talk next in this week's Pasha? In the middle of the Pasha, smack right in the middle, not even the next, comes the Geula. after 210 years of oppression. The lesson to us is that there is always the hope. God is with you, God go- goes with you, God comes with you and holds your hand and has that and gives the strength to deal with any difficult, any situation in life. Now, in our case, we have the Moshe Rabbeinu within us, we have the Rebbe within each one of us, the Moshe of each generation, and this is also with the Kayach of the Eberstein inside of Moshe the boy El Pari. Okay, many, many lessons can be derived from this. For more on this topic, I'll cross-reference to episodes 52, 98, one forty six and one ninety seven. Okay. With that, let me ready make some housekeeping announcements. Excuse me. One is that, as I just said, cross-referencing, all these episodes are archived. You can access them at meaningfullife.com slash my life. And if you go to the YouTube version on a desktop or a laptop, you can actually see the timestamps and go straight to the topic you want without having to listen to all of it. It's automatically linked there. We set it up every week. You can also download these programs, podcasts, as a podcast to listen on the go, on a car or exercising, or whatever it may be. And, um, and, of course, there you'll also find a forum where you can submit any question anonymously, confidentially, completely. If you want us to respond, either because you want some material or you want a personal connection, you have to put your email in there because for none we have no way of tracing it. We have no way of knowing who you are. So you have that total confidentiality. Okay. I should also mention, since we're already talking about it, we begun. We announced that this week, this year's fifth annual My Life Citizens Applied Contest, which is the gates are open. People are submitting. Of course, take your time. The deadline is Zain Odin Aleph, February twelfth. I believe. Yes. And if you have time, you can go on meaningfullifecom slash contest for all the guidelines, the rules, and all the details. And anyone can win, literally. We made especially a level playing field. So feel, you know you can't possibly win. $10,000, 3600 is the second prize. Third prize is $1,000. And then we have a special track, special student prize of $500. They also are eligible for the higher prizes, but that prize is exclusively for students. So a student will win $500. And it's always exciting to see the 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 enthusiasm and the commitment and uh, the essays that come in are always unbelievable it's a great opportunity, so please take advantage We'll be talking about that more in coming episodes some tips, but if you go online, you can find not only guidelines we also have tips and different ways to win a winning to to uh, submit a winning essay okay with that, let us go one more final announcement is of course. Uh, of course, um, um, the, the issue of sponsorships. This program is not possible without your support. So please be generous and help us either dedicate a program in memory of a loved one or, or in honor of a loved one to go to MeaningfulLife.com slash sponsorship. MeaningfulLife.com slash sponsorship. Okay. Now let us go to some questions. And of course, we'll start with a contemporary question that just... Breaking news in the Chabad world this week, this past week. How should we react to the recent mezuzah controversy? So, yes, we received letters, and uh, I'm sure you've heard about this. So, um, if you haven't heard about it, let me just be specific what we're talking about here. Controversy has broken out about what is being sold by the sofrim, by the scribes, by the mochris those that sell mezuzahs in this community, in the Crown Heights community, and other communities, is it up to standard? Is it kosher? Is it not kosher? And a debate raging from all different perspectives. We got the perspectives of the stores, perspective. Well, it all started with a young man who decided to do an investigation uh, and came to a conclusion that many of the mezuzahs are not pos, are pos, are not kosher. You have, the rea- you have the comments from the stores that sell these mezuzahs. You have comments from Sofrim, scribes, from Rabbonim, from people in the street, everybody has entered the fray. Um, initially, I was not going to speak about it precisely because everyone's talking about it. What do I need to talk about? It? But I do want to share a few words, that I think just to uh, bring a little, uh, I guess, sa- sanity into this discussion. We are a Jewish people. We're here for over th- almost 3,800 years, formerly from the time of Avram Avinu. Matin teda is over 3,300 years ago. There have been controversies as like this and bigger ones. Thank God, God blessed us with a teda. We're not living in the dark. We have directives. I mentioned teda, melosh, Neira. Teda has directives for us. No matter what the situation, teda has a response. Why is that so vital? Because all of us are subjective. All of us have opinions. And they could be good opinions. We may be brilliant. But we're subjective. So God blessed us. He gave us a teda at Har Sinai. But more importantly, the teda has a methodology that can be applied in every given situation. And that's why Deirach we have a Meseda. We have the Chachomim of each generation as they codified the teda, first Teda Shabiksav, Sav, this is from the Eberstadt, then Teda Shebar Peh, Teda B'Pirusha which in turn became Halachas, which is what we call today Shulchan Aruch, starting from the Rambam, the Rosh, and other Paschim. And it's a long literature, a long body of scholarship that goes in the unbroken chain of how you determine every question. So the first thing everyone has to ask ourselves, each one of us asks what does the tater say? Not what I say, not what this young man says, not what the store say, not what Abonim say, not what the Sofrim say. What does the tater say? So the tater says to go to Arov. Arov, not because he's a smart guy, not because he's a good guy, Because he's a person who knows what this says in the teda. Sofrim also have a certain authority. Writing a a sefer teda or a film or mezuzas is not a simple matter. Not everybody can just sit down and write. There are real rules. Now, of course, there are different opinions. And the Gemara talks about it. And then Shokhalocha talks about it. And we know there's Bidiyavet and there's Vizuchat and And there are things that are for sure possible completely unacceptable as far as the mezuzah goes, there are things that are kosher, and there are things that some say you can get, but the have it's acceptable. But if you're machmed, you should not do it. There's shulchanor for all these things. We don't have to make up new halachas, and we don't need to find new authorities. So the way I would look at it is very straightforward. Okay, this hashrochah practice just came up. Whether the fellow did it the right way, should he have gone and publicized names and stores and so on, it's after the fact. I'm not going to go make a judgment call on that. But ashwacha prat is now that it's on the table, we're tater eating. Gotten the So let's look what the tayre says. What does that mean? If a mezuzah, you have a question, you go to a store, you buy a mezuzah. Now you're relying that they have someone that checked it. Remember, every store has an agia because they're selling something. So, everyone's the agia, but of. It. Negei means can be a relative, it can be a financial gain, or some other prejudice. So the tater addresses that too. That's why you have objective rabbis, objective scribes, who look at something in case there's a question. Now there are, obviously, people have certain suffering they trust, they have certain scribes they trust, they have certain stores they trust. If, however, for some reason, I'm not even saying it's legitimate, a question has come up, should you trust this scribe or this store, is a simple process. Take the mezuzah or whatever it is that we're in question, and bring it to an objective person, and let him look at it. This is the, what Taitus says. And the objective person is not a person off the streets; a person who's trained, who knows first of all Aruch, knows how to look at a mezuzah and at a parchment and at the letters and exactly how it's written, and can say this is a kosher mezuzah. However, if you were machmir, it would be a few things should be amended, or it's possible. It's either possible kosher or. Could be done better. And this, again, there are rules for all these things. Everything is addressed. If I was a a manager of the store, or owned the store, what I would do, which is what you see, what the Goyesha world does. If someone questions your credibility, instead of becoming defensive or anything, what you should do is, on the contrary, say, yes, I care about my standards, I want you as a customer, I want people to know that you can trust me, You come out with a campaign and say, you know what? We'll we'll appoint objective Rabbonim or objective Sofrim who will check anything. You have a question, they will check it. And they won't be biased because they're not going to be paid by me. Maybe it's a collective fund. I don't know. We have to figure out how. This is not because there's necessarily anyone saying they did anything wrong. But that's what you do. You go overboard when you want to have customers, when you want to be credible. Everyone knows the famous story with Tylenol. Just bring it as an example. Tylenol was found laced with, God forbid, some people died from it. I am not even comparing it. to have the little five dollars. So, Tylenol, the company that owned it, you know, this was it. They could have destroyed their whole company because that's all you needed—that it was laced—and they didn't know what to do. Some argued they should just ignore it; it'll blow over. Some said we should do comment on it, and they came out with an aggressive campaign that we are now going to do something that no one has ever done. We're, because of this happened, and we feel the responsibility to the public, we're going to create new safety uh, hatches, latches, whatever it is, for covers, for, to avoid tamper-proof tamper, packaging. And they came out with a big apology, and it said tamper-proof, and they, not only did they continue their business, they doubled and tripled because they gained the credibility. I'm not suggesting the same here, because to say, I'm not going to come to a conclusion to say any was were possible or that it caused any damage. But it's just a lesson. Even if it did, look what they did and how they gained the trust of the public. So I think this is an opportunity to be a teter Eden, chassidosh look at the situation and take a bull by the horns and say, there's a teter shulchanarach. We have Rabbanim, we have suffered. Let's find those objective people that can establish. That way everybody is absolved of the Nagiyas. Whether this young man, whether he had p- 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 biases or not, I don't know and I didn't investigate. Whether other people have biases, I'm not here to rule on it. But the tater covers all bases. That's my point. And the bases especially are looking at a situation. It's not just with mezuzah, by the way. It's with any given situation where there's controversy. Thank God we have a tater that helps us get through situations like this by looking at it objectively, dispassionately, by tater people, and so on. Now, if indeed somebody besmirched and caused damage for no reason, that has to be addressed too. That also has tater. There's also recourse with that. But overall, I'm talking now to each other as a public. You buy a mezuzah, whether it's you're buying it for yourself or you're buying it for someone else, or you're buying it for mevzayim, by all means, you should ask whoever's selling the mezuzah, was it checked? And there's no problem. Go check it with, independently by someone else. You could say, why do I have to do that? You know what? We have mashgichim in restaurants. We have mashgichim that, uh, that we have hashgacha, some food. There's the concept of hashgacha. Now, if you find someone that you trust in the world of Safras, by all means. That's all, it's all part of it. If they, they have those authorities. But since now things have come into question, ad-rab, let's use it to strengthen our commitment and strengthen our standards and do this in the Tera way. Now, do you think the Rebbe would answer anything different than that, than this? If someone asked the Rebbe this question. A Tera mentioned the Rebbe. See, this is Tera. Chabad is Tera. Everything is Tera. We follow the Tera. Now... Has come out some new revelations, which I'm sure some of you are aware of. Here's a psag din, actually, an psag din, a letter I should say from the Bezdin of Crown Heights, dated. Dated. Chavdala Tevis Kislev, Chavdala Kislev Tovshemam Zion, the Bezdin of Crown Heights, and they gave out nine guidelines because they saw laxity and problems with mezuzas. So once you have this. This is the abonim of this community. And the abonim of this community that everybody embraced. And the Rebbe endorsed. So all we have to do is follow. Of the things they said there, that they're saying, that they don't refer to any particular story, or they definitely don't mention names. So they say that there's definitely an issue going on with the Stam. Stam is, is again, film Zuzis, They read regulations, so there should be no... Mikshel, there should be no um, impediment in our community. Among the r- rules that they wrote was that everything should go through a rigorous review, and that the writers should be, of course, God-fearing and expert, for wherever they come from. And they actually banned, they said they should not have small mezuzahs where you can't see Tagin or there are no Tagin, the crowns. So here's a Rabboni, this is from Rabban. who can, someone wants to Question that. But it is, it is coming from Rabbonim, of this community. You can rest assured, this was Mem Zion. I'm sure the Rebbe saw this. So I don't know if the Rebbe reacted to it, but we don't have anything negative about it. So there's one directive. It was also brought to my attention, I want to thank the family, the Blau family, of Mayor Blau's children, especially Levi. Brought to my attention that back in the year, Tavshin Lama Dalet, which was right after the Rebbe began, after the tragedy of Malot, in Israel, so he, Mayor Blau, who is an Askin and a very proactive activist, came out with him with a big ad in the Jewish press that said over 80% of mezuzahs and are not kosher. And he goes on, of course, to make a, a, a call that people should be vigilant to make sure it's kosher. He wrote to the Rebbe and submitted this ad, and he said not only did he put the ad in, he also sent it to rabbis and to communities all over the country both in Yiddish and in English. And he gives a bunch of list of things of why he did it, in order, obviously, to keep the standard and to prevent a real mixture, a real problem, which is the laxity around Apostle Mezuzas. The Rebbe answered, So that was already back in, 90, we're talking about '74, Shabbos Chazen time. And then there was, unfortunately, a tragedy in Tav involved with Sham shochtim got killed in an accident. So Mayor Blau again, Rabbi Blau, Vasholim, wrote to the Rebbe about it, and he said that they went to check the mezuzas, and the mezuzas, unfortunately, for the people that were killed, was not kosher. So he says it's a very sensitive thing. He doesn't want to bring it up to the family. He wants to do it through family members. But he wants to know if the Rebbe is giving him directive, should he do something about it in a sensitive way. And the Rebbe writes, Keposhet, so the Rebbe says, Keposhit, you should do something about it, because, because, because that's what Pishulchan Aruch. And the Rebbe in the parentheses says, because something happened negatively, so obviously you have to look in introspective, especially in the area of mezuzah and tefillin and and uh, as the Rebbe indicates very many times. And then the Rebbe writes, ask her, let's see What's close to my heart as well as he writes at the bottom is because of this tragedy he's printing in the newspaper of the Algemeiner a sikh about Shemitah Samazuzah that was from that year Pasha Ekev of Shalom Advov, was a sikh came out about the power of Mezuzah. Okay. Good. So, well, we should only hear good news. I just wanted to share this all for the Shleim Hoseinian. But to sum up, I think we have a tera, I think, I know we have a tera, tera er, it's an illuminating tera, I think when you go with that approach and you put aside all agendas, all personal agendas, all opinions, that's all that matters here. What does the Tader say? And the Taylor has halachas regarding this. As I said, the details I discussed earlier, the details of halacha. something is kosher, muhudr, It could be kosher, not the takh It could be possible. And that needs to be determined, determined, not by people in the street, not by anybody. These are people with authority can determine this. Rabbonim and sofrim that have the samchus. As the Rabbonim wrote, Yerushalayim, all the requirements that a sefer, a sefer has in Tehra, Okay. And I'd love to hear any comments or feedback. With that, let us also, I want to say one more thing from the psak then, from Tav Shemem that the Rabbonim also said, they also demanded all sofrim and magim in the neighborhood. The Heights appear before the Badats, before the bezdin I show their credentials that they revisit the halachas of Stam Shulchan Aruch at least once a year, I would submit not as a rav, but as just a practical suggestion: it's always good to have a second person checking anything. Now, of course, different opinions in Shulchan Aruch, but a, a sefer or a rav that checks knows those halachas, and they can say this is it's not possible, but it's not tachlis hidr Having two people who don't know of each other is always a healthy thing, especially now that there's been a controversy. So why not be even extra careful, so we know exactly what we're dealing with, and so on. And uh, the, hopefully, we all follow what Tera says. Tera's Dar, darkeinayim v'chol shalom. Everything of Tera is meant to bring shalom and peace, and not create definitely divisiveness and arguments. And if we follow Tera, we all submit to what the Tera says. That is the best way that we'll find resolution here. That will be without any extra agmas nefesh or any personalization or any damage to anybody. OK, because what the tater says is the best for everyone, whoever is involved. With that, let us move to uh, other questions. Is there an intrinsic value to keep Sidis in its pristine state and not try applying it to specific situations? Hi, Rabbi Jacobs. Thanks for sending out your week, video, weekly, weekly. It creates a positive start to my week and it feels good to know that you cover the week's Parsha as well as Jewish holidays that are relevant that week. I learned the Sicha this week and the Rebbe explains that Moshe, his job was to break the klipa of Mitzrayim and his brother Arn was to take the message that Moshe would convey in Hebrew which Pharaoh, which Pari did not understand and like Rashi says, In other words, An brought it and explained it to Pari. So Moshe was like the pristine form of what God said to break the clipper, And Aaron brought it down to his level to make sure he understands the message. My question to you is, there a concept of keeping chassid the words of the rabbi, Moshe Rabbeinu, in their pristine state, and not try to apply it to specific cases? Like, in other words, like Moshe, not like Aaron. If not, then what's this concept of Moshe just saying things the way they are, and how does that apply to us? Thanks. So, the questioner obviously is questioning the premise of this program. Chsiddis applied. You know, a Maim Chsiddis or a Sikha is said by the Rabbein, Divir We have their original, and just read that. Is there, is there an Indian in that? Or do you have to always apply it to a personal situation? So, of course, the answer is obvious. Of course there's an union of that. Not only that, that that's where it all begins. When the Rabim said a Maimur, we know it was Mizakh the Avir, it refined the environment, the atmosphere. And their words are holy. That's why when we chazan a maimur by bar mitzvah or by a wedding. Or in general on a Shabbos, chazen a you Yachhazar the Aispa us, eis Sadav, and we don't add explanation. Sometimes we add a little to make it a little more explainable, but not much. So that's like the pure words of Mesha. But we're also told, told, told that we have to learn siddis. We have to learn and understand it. So there's the union of learning the words, and of course that has the most power. We know that Abems had certain memorim they said was to, for the for the, that they would repeat for the different birudim they needed at that time. As I said, we hazard it over. But then there's the union of explaining siddhas, internalizing it. Like anything in Ted, you do even Layodh even if you know what it says, the words are holy. But then the tether has a mitzvah to understand, La lafoshabah, la to study it, immerse yourself, yegiyeh, as I discussed earlier, understand it, argue about it, internalize it. Is that a contradiction? So of course there's an union of the meisheh of tether, and there's the aden of tether, where aden translates and brings it down to the level of the people, in this case, padi. And then there's the union of the tether itself in its original form. There's no contradiction at all. So they both have value, the first which probably has even more power, because it's the original words, but the second has more internalization. And this is discussed in many places that Tayh is the is like Elokus, but then there's Elakus as it's in Slavish, as it manifests in our seichel and our understanding of it. Generally the difference between Tayh Shab and Tayh Shabbal Peh, in Taylor Shabbal Peh Gufa there's levels, same thing as Iqsidis. That there's the Tayhsh Iksava Chassidus, Tanya, but even the other my that's straight from the Rabeim, and there's the explanation of it. Famous story with Rabbi Hillel Paritcher and the Samach They were sitting after a maimah that Tzemaq Tzedek delivered. And they were discussing the Havonah, the understanding of the maimah. Rabbi Hillel disagreed with the Samach So someone said to him, how could you disagree? Tzemaq Tzedek himself said the maimah. He says, when the Rebbe says the Maimer is kinisinos Like given at Sinai. Obviously that's the Rebbe speaking. Is sometimes the expression. The Shekhinah is speaking through his throat, through his mouth. But now we're talking, understanding it. And here we're using Seichel to understand it. And here, the Rebbe, is that Rebbe Takeh? But this is a discussion for Teter. And we're learning Teter together. And here you could have room for disagreement. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu, when he said something from Hashem, obviously that's the authority of Hashem. But then when Moshe sat with the Chachomim and they discussed something, you go according to the majority, even if the majority is not according to Moshe. Though, of course, Moshe is respected for his understanding. Now this could be elaborated upon, but the point is there are two elements to chassidus as there is to General Tatum. I discussed this in different ACs, different ideas, in different episodes, episodes 59, 123, 132, 163, 165, 177, and 199. Different ideas about this whole basis of chassidus applying chassidus to our personal lives. But that is absolutely the kavona as well, to bring a bechen, a personalization of all these ideas, each one of us, call Chad Khad Lefum Delay. Each person according to their measure and according to their needs, according to their unique perspective and, and approach, all based on the source without compromising that source. The Alta Rebbe says, Tanya is So, of course, Tanya itself is Tanya Kadisha, but it's Aitsis. That means each of us can take the advice and the directive the Alta Rebbe says, each according to our way, Tayram, Elosh, and Hera, as I mentioned earlier. Next question. What did the Rebbe mean by calling someone a plain clothed chassid? Greetings, Rabbi Jacobson. One time at the local Chabad house, they showed some clip, some video clip, of people's reminiscences of the Rebbe. There was one man who said that the Rebbe referred to him as a plain clothed chassid. Could you interpret for us what the Rebbe meant by this? I thought of it because of the recent flurry of concern expressed by some of your viewers. As to what kind of yarmulke should be worn. Thank you and keep up the great work. Yeah. Not just mezuzahs. there was a flurry of discussion about my yarmulke he's referring to specifically. Um, okay. Well the expression plain clothes of course comes that somebody is dressed like you say, a plain clothes policeman, dressed in plain clothes, not in a uniform. He's still a policeman, but he's dressed up in other words to either camouflage himself. <laughs> in a way that um, he could get away with certain things because if he's shown as a policeman, people would know who he is and they'd be careful. So this is more of a like an undercover situation. My assumption is, when the Rebbe used that term, and I've heard it a few times, is that there are people who dress like a chassid. You look at them, you see a chassid gate, a person who's an overt and outright representative of the Rebbe, and lives up to that standard, hopefully, and so on. But then there are people who were very much touched by chassidists, by the rabbin, by the Rebbe, and they may not look the part, may not dress the part, but when you speak to them, you suddenly see this deepest cautious and connection. You know they're loyal to the cause. Now, why they're dressed that way? Whatever the reasons are. But the Rebbe is saying, basically, there are people like that that are out there, that are wherever they may be, and they're plain clothes chasid, they're, they're, they're a mensh of the rebbe's a mensh, but he's dressed in a part that may be the levushim of the place where he's at. Like we say, you have to be dressing up the levushim hamizbader. Of course, we have to always know it's to be al piter and halacha. But there are people, God forbid, whatever reason, they still have not embraced all of tayra. At least not in the levushim department, the garment department. But their heart and their soul and their actions even are completely committed. I've met people like this. I'm sure you have as well. That's how I would explain it. Um, I just heard a Shabbos actually someone shared with me who is mashpia was not a Chabad person. And when the Rebbe came out with mashpim, he wrote to the Rebbe. And the response was that your mashpia is the one that brought you to Yiddishkeit even though he's not Chabad. So what does that mean? So I thought to myself this idea, the plain clothes. It means... What is Chabad Chassid? We spoke about that about this last week. Chabad Chassid, at the end of the day, is the hashkafa of the Rebbe, a person who's living up to the directives, and the philosophy, and the approach, the perspective of the Rebbe. Now, obviously, there's dressing the part, and there's not always dressing the part. But you could also be someone who's in plain clothes and still propagating and perpetuating the Rebbe's message and the Rebbe's kavona and fulfilling the Rebbe's mission to us in this world. So that's pretty straightforward. Next question. Mazel. Question about Mazel. Do Jewish people have luck? In Hebrew we know the word Mazel. On one side, we say, ain't Mazel Yisrael. There's no Mazel for Eden. But then we say Mazel Tov. And I should add, when it comes, for example, each month, month of Shvat, month of Odr. Masle body, body masle. that the Mazla is a healthy Mazla, it's a strong Mazla, and actually has implications even in allah If something is going bad by someone in life, can you say it's bad luck, or is it a punishment for his misdoings? And now, he should add a mitzvah, and then all his problems will be resolved, it has nothing to do with his luck? Thank you. So first I want to refer you to episode 198, where I spoke about Zodiac and astrology. The brief answer is the following. Exactly right, because Mazal is part of how God created the world. And there's so called laws of nature, and according to the laws of astrology. Like we say by uh, Avram Avinu, he was subject to that. But then when Avram changed his name, Avraham, Leichl, he no longer is bound by these guidelines because you're connected to so called the master himself. So the stars and all the different mazolis and constellations are God's handiwork. These are basically instruments of God. So instead of being subject to the instruments, sub- we, we connect to the person who's created the person, to the entity that is the balha instrument, which is all kegazim biyad It's all like a, a, an axe in the hand of the axemen. So Jews have that direct connection, so they're not bound to mazolus. That doesn't mean, however, we do live in this world, so the amshach of which comes from higher than the mazolus, comes to us also through a mazol. So we'd say it doesn't control our lives, there's predispositions. That's why in the of, there there's certain things we don't do. The Chedesh is a month of Simcha. Chedesh Av is a Saturn month. That doesn't mean we're bound by it, doesn't mean it controls our lives, but there's a predisposition, a so-called inclination. So the root is Ein mazl Yisrael is higher than any mazl. But it does come down, hamshachas that come through different so-called personalities and characteristics that do affect us. But we're not bound by it, and we can always transcend it. Then there's the title, Chassidus, Ein Mazl Yisrael, Ein Ayin Mazl Yisrael. Not that there is no Mazl, that Mazl of Yisrael is the level of Ayin, not Yesh. The level of Bitl, Talakus. So that means both things. It means there is no Mazl, the Mazl as in a Yesh, that you're defined this way. Your Mazl is higher than Mazl. Your Mazl is the level of Ayin. There's more to be said on this topic, but that's the brief, the story. So are we subject to the laws of nature? Look, we have laws of nature we are subject to. But fundamentally, Eid is connected to a place that's higher than, say, the the to Ayin, higher than the Mitziyah Se'ilimus, the existence, and therefore can connect to that. So even though there may be, inside the Mazel, you may have been born a certain month, or something in the Mazel, that doesn't mean you're, it imposes itself and predetermines your life. It's a predisposition. OK. Good. Next question: 770. Why is 770 not kept neater? Yeah. So here's the two questions that came in over the months. Number one: why is 770 such a bad condition? Isn't it possible to make the place nicer and cleaner? Isn't it a place of prayer supposed to, isn't, a place of, isn't a place of prayer supposed to be beautiful? Is it lack of funds, thanks? Another person wrote, Tikkun, Hi, Simon, how are you? This question will probably be one of the funnier questions you receive. I daven in 770 every day, although the shul is taken care of very well. There's one issue that bothers me a lot. Every time I wash my hands, before davening, there's never any paper towels to wipe one's hands with, besides on Shabbos. They have these blowers which don't... <laughs> I can't control myself, sorry. They have these blowers which don't even blow out hot air. We have to remember, 770 is not a regular shul. It's the Rebbe's based medrash Labavitch World Headquarters. So you're wondering, why am I writing to you? Why don't I talk to the gaboyev? It's exactly what I was wondering. The answer is quite simple. I'm not going to get too far. Perhaps a group of gvirim can get together, wealthy people, and sponsor the paper towels for the whole year. How much it would cost? 20 grand a year? I have heard of or read somewhere that the Rebbe once bemoaned by Fabrengan that there's no towel by the sink to wipe one's hands with, and when there's a towel, it's soaking wet. The Simon Okay, well, everything this program, you never know what's going to come your way. So first I want to refer you to episode 132, which interesting. I did speak about something, about 770 and decorum and so on. The two questions actually contradict each other. The second one says it's being taken care of for 770. The other one says it's not. Well, let's start with, first of all, this is a Shulchan Aruch. I mentioned before everything is Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch has very clear rules and laws about hilkhus Beis HaKnessus, the clean, cleanliness of it, keeping it even nicer than your own home. It's a Malkim Kaddish, it's a Migdash Ma'at, it's a Beis migdash. And we all, all, at least some of us know, once the, the Rebbe himself, at times, when he saw something that was on the floor, he would pick up a piece of paper, garbage, and so on. Once the Rebbe came to Davon amid I think it was Memches, Front of seven seventy, as he comes to the amid by Mizrach, he sees a few bags behind the uh, behind the amid. Uh, the they are near the Aron Kadesh. The Rebbe looks, calls over. What is this? You can hear on the tape, on the video, how upset the Rebbe was. Ashul, says Ashul, what's come to us? Then the Rebbe says, I'm only giving the meaning at the shamash for Gemi I'm bored. Bezimun the pole, the, the, the floor, which means he would go with his beard and sweep the floor. The Rebbe says, mid the board, mid the egg the board. He would sweep the floor of a shul. You could see the Rebbe's aggravation. So let's make one thing clear. There's no justification for an unclean, an unneat, an un- disorganized shul. I know we all say this when we tell people who come, we say it's the engine room of Lubavitch, the engine room of the world. Engine rooms don't look very clean. If you go into the boiler rooms, you go to the bottom of a ship, that's all a nice, uh, nice explanation, and maybe has some value to it. But at the end of the day, a Shul has halachas, and as I just described, a Shul has to be neat, especially the Rebbe's Shul. So I don't know; there's no excuse for it. It's a matter of all of us cooperating. The Gaboim have to do their part, but remember, it's a Shul of thousands of people. The Gaboim can't be following everyone around, and just looking at the Rebbe's sensitivity to how clean the Shul should be, each of us thought of it as such, and we treated a Shul like it's our own personal domain. And the holy domain, Mikdash Ma'at, especially Rebbe Ashul, it would change. So I look at ourselves, I look at myself, I look at you, I don't think we can blame somebody. As far as the paper towels go, I don't know. I mean, I use those blowers, and I think they did blow air, hot air. But I'm not going to go into a debate on this topic. I mean, it's probably to save money. I'm not going to get into the discussion why not use paper towels. Yes, use paper towels. That should be brought up in the Gabboyim. It's not my area of expertise. No, definitely not my domain of uh, authority. So, but I reiterate again, a shul has to be clean, neat, and that's what the kavon of a shul is, period. No excuses. Okay. Next question is really a request favor that I was asked of me. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. I have a request, if you can do me a favor, it it might sound interesting. I suffer from depression and anxiety. It came to the point that I feel I need to take something to give me some relief. I'm not a big fan of medication, so I'm wondering if I can use your show, if you can throw out a question to your audience and inquire if anybody has been helped with these kind of issues through alternative medicine, by a homeopathic doctor, etc. As you said, your show is an interactive community, forum, and if people respond with the name of doctor or doctors, you can forward it to my email, he gives us his email. Thanks in advance. So I'm doing exactly that, a request of one of the listeners. If anybody has any leads or directives, is helping a person, I'm sure it could help others as well. And since we're ready on the topic, it's a good opportunity since I do have the public forum here. If you do have recommendations in mental health or other areas, please share them. And we will have a list of resources. So, in case anybody does contact us, either privately or something I read on the the weekly uh, program, we can direct them to different individuals. Obviously, all this is confidential, so whatever you share, you don't have to share your name. Uh, If you do share your name, it will be completely confidential, anonymous, but I will pass it on to this fellow. And um, again, I really feel honored to be able to uh, um, offer this service, that we can all help each other, because you never know who you know, a referral, a reference, a, a lead, and so on. Okay, now we have a bunch of follow-ups, but because of the mezuzah and other issues, I see I'm not going to have the time to do it. So I apologize. Um, I will do one follow-up, that way at least we'll get one done, and I'll do the others next week and the following weeks. One of the topics we spoke about in previous episodes, what what defines a Chabad Chassid? So a few comments came in, I'll just read them. Three comments be specific. One, a Hasidist that is a generation without a Rebbe is forced to ask that very who are we type of question. I don't know if I would, I would agree with that. We're not a generation without a Rebbe. A Rebbe never forsakes his people. A Rebbe, as the Radatz's father told him after the Rebbe Marashas is and that comment too says, but we have a Rebbe. Okay. And a third comment was I think a Chosin Chabad is someone who uses everything in the world, including technology, to spread Yiddishkeit to For a Boche not to have a phone that was good, maybe in the times of the Rebbe Rashab. Now Bachan can spread Yiddishkeit in their free time if they have a phone. Okay. Discuss, there's something up for discussion. I'm not going to comment more on that. Finally, there was another issue with the follow-up on secular studies in schools. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. I would like to understand what's all the paranoia with the government and the secular education in the schools. From my understanding, it's not that the government wants to take over our schools. They just want the kids to have basic knowledge of English language and math and the like to be able to navigate society after they finish their studies in school. Was it the Rebbe's intention that we shouldn't know how to read and write and know basic math? I think there's an re- overreaction here. I think you, you can be frum and chassidish and be educated and have panosah bar Why do the frum have to be poor? I don't think the Rebbe's intentions were that frum Jews should be struggling with panosah. I think many things have changed with higher education for the frum community where you have frum colleges separate from men and women. Whereas when the Rebbe spoke about going against going to university, he was concerned that people should drift away from Yiddishkeit because of it. I think times have changed and we need to chill out a little bit. Well, I don't know if you listen to the program. I addressed this very directly. I don't agree with some of the things you're saying. Just go back to those episodes. I'm trying to remember which episodes they were. I didn't mark it down. But it's basically a few weeks ago. It was probably episodes 239, 240, 41 uh, that I spoke about this. And um, I don't, as I said, some of the things you say I agree with. But the question really is, here: yeah, what, com- what makes parnasa? Is it necessarily higher education? And most importantly, the government doesn't have to be intervening. We're smart enough We're a Jewish people have been here for thousands of years. We could figure it out. And if we have an issue, we'll deal with it ourselves and internally we'll figure out what to empower our uh, young men and women. And if you look at it, our young women and women, thank God, if you talk about the trouble that you see in the secular world, we don't have most of those issues. Yes, there are things to talk about. We talked about it in previous episodes. I just wanted to read it for the record. Okay. Let me go now to other follow-ups, as I said, I'll do next week. The this question. God in or out? We were taught that God is outside of us. In Chisidus, I learned something new. We all have a piece of God in us. What should be the meditation by davening? On one hand, it says, which means to stand before, note before whom you stand. We also take three steps back, which seems to be in line with the idea that God is somewhat outside us. Ter talks about how davening is the Veda to reveal the peace of God that is inside us. I just asked a question. I forgot to thank you for the service to humanity. Your lectures, website, books, etc. is amazing and has a great impact on my life. Yesher Kayach. Okay. So God, inside or out? So I discussed this in episode 83. Since this was rephrased a bit, I'll, I'll respond briefly, but in 80, episode 83 I discussed it more in length. So first of all, there's a Maimah Chazal. That says, <clears throat> God is the space of the world, or he occupies the space. God is existence, but existence is not God. <clears throat> so God is an entire, the entirety of God is far beyond existence, and therefore outside of existence, outside meaning, not outside of physical space, but beyond. You can't say, like pantheism, Spinoza argued, God is nature, nature is God. No. God is nature, but nature is not God. God is space, but space is not God. God is a lot more. That's why we say Hu Barachata Hashem What's this Hu always in everything. Alekem is God as He manifests in nature. Alekem is Hateva, the nature. Havaya is the God that is, transcends nature and transcends existence. Havaya Lakim is that the God that's beyond is the God that's within. So I wouldn't say outside in, because as the Kotzka Rebbe said, they asked him as a child, uh, where, they asked him, where is God? So he said, where is God not? Well, they said, we will give you a penny if you tell us where God is. He said, I'll give you a penny if you tell me where God is not. So God is within everything, but he's not defined by the everything. So the answer is both. We talk Save of and kalam, Mamala Kalalman, Mamala Kalalman, Mamala, kalam, mamala as in, He's Mamala Esa He fills the space. And then we say God is beyond, He fills the earth. But then there's, we say God is beyond existence. And then He's even beyond the beyond, as Chsidis elaborates upon. And then He joins all together. Because the God that's beyond the beyond can join the God Elohim and havai. Anoichi combines Hawaii and Elohim. That's the short of it. What it means in practical applied to, this, applied to our lives is that there are theories that speak about a God that's beyond us. You want to have a relationship with God, you have to live an ascetic lifestyle. Go out of your natural order and routines. Others say, no, there's no such thing as beyond. God is right here. God is nature. And nature is God. And you find God in your personal life. Be ethical, be kind, and so on. Both are not complete. The first one is, is ignoring existence and God created existence and yes, manifested himself in existence and even manifested himself in 10 spheres though he's beyond them. It's so-called an image in which we created the divine human being. The Im- human being degraded with Salam the divine image. I, God, has no image because he's beyond image. But he chose a part of himself, so to speak. He chose to manifest the reflection of the divine in a structure, and we, that part of God is within us. So when you say, When you say that you are the Selim Elykim, that you're life, you're chesed, when you do kindness, you emulate God's kindness. You're emulating God's ways. Our faculties are aligned with God's attributes. That's how God manifested in existence, and... That we need to have, because that's the kavana, kavanah, but if you only have that, you don't, you're not having the experience of the divine beyond existence, the awe of recognizing the reymah mushavensov, the hafla, the grandeur, the magic, the mystery of the divine. So how do you reconcile the two? So we have both. There are times where we experience the divine within us, when you thank God for food, for sustenance, for life, for shelter, for all the blessings... That's God as he relates to you. And then you come to realize there's a God beyond you. And the God that's beyond is one with the God that's within. So we both have transcendence, but without asceticism. And we don't have just limited ourselves in the material world. We also can experience the transcendence that's beyond existence together with the divine within existence. And together they all come, of course, when Mashiach comes, will be the completion of both dimensions by the third dimension. So we have the Atzimus, Seva, Vemamala. Okay. Now let's do the essays. This is still essays from last year's 2018 contest. We'll continue reviewing them until we run out of them or until we begin the essays of this year's contest. And I mention again the, the essay contest, your chance to both express your voice, see this relevant in a personal issue or a global issue or some contemporary life challenge or issue, Using chidus to address that issue, and you can win bonus ten thousand dollars, because even just doing that is already a reward. But getting also ten thousand dollars for the effort is uh, potential for is is, is uh, the first prize. Second prize thirty six hundred. Third prize one thousand dollars, and a fourth five hundred dollar prize specifically exclusively for students. So now let's go to the essay contest. To the I'm sorry, to the essays of this week. One is the first one, the value of our constant struggles. Sarah Schwartz, age32, Granada Grenada Hills, California. That's consistent to some of the things we spoke about today. Do you ever feel you are constantly repeating the same struggles? Keep hitting the same walls and getting stuck. It feels so frustrating whether your negative thoughts are clo- are cl- whether your negative thoughts <clears throat> are clothed in anxiety depression, addiction, laziness, self-consciousness, or lust. If you are human, you have them. And you wish you could just get rid of them. You want to be healed, happy. Trust me, friend, you're not alone. We regular humans all struggle with these internal battles. In chapters 27 and 28 of Tanya, the Rebbe redefines our life's mission as embracing our inter- internal struggles and discovering the advantageous purposes of having them. This essay will explore this topic. And yes, and she goes on to explore it in a very personal way. I really liked reading this. And how we must accept the reality that we are created to struggle, fight one battle at a time, and number three, feel the reward of winning and of the satisfaction we give to God. Very good application of Tanya's, uh, those chapters, and with practical ideas at the end that really can help a person, I think, in a very real, realistic way. So this essay, as all other essays that we review each week are posted at MeaningfulLife.com slash mylife. And uh, as well, if you subscribe to our weekly email, we send out the new essays as they're posted. Essay number one. Okay, essay, second essay is Transcendental Mediation. In light of Chassidus, David Bressman, age 35, Los Angeles, California. His job is a mediator. This essay, I must say, extremely impressive. And it did receive one of the highest marks. I just read them, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, last week. That I not necessarily in the right order, but this is a top-notch essay. I am a certified mediator, David writes. Mediation is also known as Alternative Dispute Resolution, ADR. I took an interest in this field a couple of years after I received ordination for Dayanis, Rabbinical Judicial Ordination. I will address how one can overcome stark differences and discord when differences cannot be worked out between individuals. I call this method Hasidic Transcendental Mediation. The tools to overcome discord are found in the Hasidic sources I will present, I will note that this article can benefit both an experienced mediator and a layman. I personally think must read, especially if you're interested in these matters and who doesn't have challenges like this. And he goes on to firstly to explain mediation, facilitative mediation, evaluative mediation, toolbox mediation, and then in mediation in light of chassidus, a true contribution, I think, to that bridge, between a real issue in our times and the Hasidic contribution to it, Hasidic um, insights and perspective about Machria and with the different sources from sikhs and different places that he cites. Excellent essay, really. I'm going to think of a way that we should probably more than just post this, but probably make it very prominent uh, because it really can be part of different mediation methodologies and processes. If you're in that field, I definitely recommend reading it, or even if you're not in the field, as I said, it's, it has true value. Okay, the third, third essay for today is Increased Motivation for Change After Repeated Failures, in Hebrew. Butman, age 46, Ramat, HaSharon Israel, Ashlucha. Okay. It's based on the Kutta volume 6, page 57 to 68, and it really is all about, exactly as the title implies, to go the difficulties of life and how really they become a catalyst, a catapult you to creating true change. Personalizes it in a very personal way with a real story and a case study, so to speak. And then goes on to say how, based on that Sikha, which goes into the whole discussion of tshuva, and making mistakes and correcting from mistakes, how we can learn from that, this approach of after what failure can really end up becoming is a tremendous tool for success and growth and change. Spells it out with different stages. First stage being... Um, which we call lahav ilahaymin, which is to love and to believe God. Lahaz is to be careful and to be cautious, and spells it out in a bunch of steps that anyone can apply to this issue of challenges, failures, and how they can motivate you to change. Okay. With that, we conclude the essays of this week. Good. And we conclude this week's episode, episode Two hundred and forty-three. So everyone should have a very good chedesh, a freilichen chedesh, a good chedeshvat, a chedesh of hiskasher, a chedesh that can, we connect even stronger with the Rebbe, with all the Rabbeim, through him to all the rabeim, and what they wanted of us in bringing the derashvi of hishechanti beshechem, implementing and bringing chedesh to life in our personal lives to all those we come in contact with with a very good chedesh. we hear here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. And um, I remind you again about participating in this year's contest. It's, it's a live contest now. And all the guidelines and rules are available online, MeaningfulLife.com slash contest. And everyone have a very blessed week, as I said, a good chedesh. And uh, we'll see each other again next Sunday. Be well.